Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. I'm really excited for my guest this week. My guest is the author of Reaching for Normal, Amy Daniels. Amy, welcome to the show, and what's your bliss? Thanks for having me. My bliss is peace, um, and just being surrounded by that feeling of peace, and 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 I mean that by by everything that that word entails. Um, you know, just the feeling that my daughter's at peace, the feeling when my, my husband and son are, things are calm and they're content in their lives. And, um, and that to me is bliss is when I'm surrounded by that lack of chaos. Um, the quiet feelings, even just, you know, um, those little things, enjoying a cup of coffee in a small quiet moment. Um, so, so yeah, that, that peaceful contentness, that is my pure bliss. Wonderful. Well, let's dive into yeah. that a little bit. When when did you discover that that was really a point of bliss or the the point of bliss for you? I would say that um, uh, there was a lot of chaos um, raising um, my daughter who had a brain tumor and all the um, chronic medical issues that seemed to go along with that diagnosis. So... Um, there was chaos, there was upheaval, um, stress, um, those, so when I got to enjoy those quiet moments, when all was well, I learned to really savor that and, um, and really find that, that that's what's important. That's what's my pure happiness is, is when I'm surrounded by people who are content and happy and, and peaceful. And, um, my, my daughter also had a big, um, push in that and, and help me realize the importance of those little things. Um, her world was pretty small in that um, she had a small routine. She had a small circle of friends, um, but she truly found enjoyment in all of that. Um, and she had hardships. She had physical disability, cognitive disability, um, so many um, medical issues to contend with, and she still found bliss every day. Every, I mean, it was sort of amazing to watch. And how could you not learn from that? How could I not appreciate those little things when um, she went through some horrific stuff and still was like, "Good morning," and we'd ask her, "How was your day?" Awesome sauce, you know, every single time. <laughs> so it tends to rub off on you. Absolutely. We've talked with a couple of guests about that kind of child, that childlike awe, right? And and how right. children in general see the world and being so much more excited and ready and they're so capable. And I'm sure you found this. They're so much more capable than than many of us on a, uh, on a lot of occasions, but they're so much more capable than I think we give them credit for as well. And I'm sure that was uh, the case with your daughter as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and we didn't, you know, it's it sort of, we saw it better retrospectively because in the moment um, you're just working, you're going, you're doing. Um, she had a physical disability and would go to physical therapy to help her overcome. She had a right side weakness. She had to learn to walk. She had to, um, 
learn how to navigate the world with use of just one hand. Um, so those were those were day by day little things. And then you look back over a lifetime and you thought, wow, she really did it. She really overcame with a smile on her face and, and like right. it was no big deal. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. You yeah. wrote the book Reaching for Normal. What what prompted you to want to write about about all of that? And 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 when did you decide to uh, write about that? Sure. Um, so my daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was just a baby. Um, and frankly, my husband and I were just babies as well. We were, sure. you know, in our, our mid twenties with our first born um, when she was diagnosed. And the um, the amount that sh that went into hearing those words, your daughter has a brain tumor, mm -hmm. the amount our lives took a trajectory um, that we weren't expecting nor prepared for um, was immense. And um, so, and you just act, you just go. There's, there's hardly time to sit and think and ponder. And we went through years of this um, with a brain tumor diagnosis the, the path's not easy and it's, and it's, it's rarely a straight line of you do a, and this will be your result. Um, right. So after years of that, um, Emily went through treatments, um, surgeries, radiation, chemotherapy, um, physical therapy, uh, setbacks, other diagnoses. Um, it, it encompassed our life, but it didn't. And there came a time literally when she was, when she was, you know, 19 or 20 years old at that point that, that I turned and I thought, our life is so different than our peers. Hmm. Yet we, um, I was almost in denial that it was right. because I, I, I kept trying to, to, um, to fit in and go along with it and try to mold our lives to fit those that we're surrounded by. And I realized it didn't need to be that way. And I thought part of the issue was, is it's, this is really not a spoken reality that, that we talk about, that the, these lives exist, parents of chronically ill kids, uh, parents of children who have a disability of some sort, um, are almost in the shadows a little bit. We don't really talk about the reality of it. And I thought, um, and, and that makes it a little bit lonely, um, which is what I experienced. Um, throughout Emily's life, but more so towards the teen years when I was really trying to figure out, you know, why do I feel so alone? And I thought maybe it's because I'm not letting others know and that others don't really understand the reality that we live in. And so I thought I'm going to I'm going to write this book because I want I want others to understand this reality, um, because I do think when you have an understanding um, it just brings you closer together. It's a little bit more of a connection um, that when you understand somebody's, it, it, you're more likely to ask, how was your day? Or that appointment was probably hard, you know, and, and almost permission to talk about it. Um, so that's what hmm. prompted me to, to finally, when, when Emily was, was <laughs> 19 or 20 years old to, to write this book. I also had some, time at that moment. I had a shift in my way of thinking um, that allowed some time for me to do that. And it became important for me to, to get those words out and share our experiences. 
thank you. I, I want to just yeah. thank you for your vulnerability. And, um, <laughs> you know, you obviously you wrote about it and I'm sure it's, it's, it's become, I'm sure in some ways easier to talk to. And also it's, it's, it's still reliving it every time you have to re-experience it. So I, I just want to thank you for, for that. And I'm, I'm curious if, what what did go into kind of reliving those moments as you were writing? What when you had to think about like the the extremely hard times and you know sounds like things you know maybe would go well for a while and then there would be a setback as is typical with these types of things. But I, I'm curious, like right. how was it to kind of relive that and 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 try to well to go back to the bliss to try to find peace within that? Yeah, good question. It was. Um... It, people always say that writing is cathartic and I would say, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. But you know, I'm writing for a purpose. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not writing to be cathartic, but um, those people are not wrong. It really truly was cathartic. Um, I started writing and I felt I couldn't stop. Um, And there were times when I was writing a hard moment and um, you know, I'd literally be sitting at my laptop with tears and snot and tissues and, um, you know, I really had to take a moment um, to get through certain, certain passages, certain chapters, certain times, because I was reliving it. Um, but then what brings me back to that bliss is then I would look at my daughter and, and she's sitting there on the couch and she smiles and, and um, will hand me a picture that she just threw. And I thought, well, she's the one who lived it. And she's sitting there smiling and, and able to enjoy life and, and, you know, find happiness and just her, her markers and her paper and seeing us. And um, so certainly her happiness got me through a lot of my sadness. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was tremendous, but, but, and also the writing, the aspect, um, it, it is cathartic. You know, I, I hate to admit it because I didn't believe it. Um, but it really helped me. It helped me see clearly. It helped me also, um, you know, I was writing about all the people who were supportive and there in my life going through these hard times with my daughter. And it gave me a better, um, once I got it out on paper, it, it, it truly made me feel like, um, it just reinforced the support system that, that we have. So that was also nice. Um, and it was a nice reminder as I was writing those words too. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about that support system. You mentioned, especially in the early goings and being new parents and trying to live an ordinary life and all of those things that, um, I think all of us feel at some point that we're not living that ordinary thing, but, but certainly when we're, when we're faced with trauma and, and hardship. But you mentioned it was it was lonely for a while. Um, it's it's hard when other people aren't relating to that, or the people that are relating. It's it's you know, it you almost feel like you can't quite fit in there. But I'm wondering how that role of that support system, whether that was family, friends, community, what did that look like for you, and and how has that maintained? Sure, um, it it was so important. Um, I have a very supportive family. Um, although I, I lived, um, I lived in Colorado, um, when Emily was diagnosed Hmm. and my family was in, um, Connecticut. 
Uh, same with my husband's family. Uh, and we had, we had a small circle of friends in Colorado and everyone just showed up. Um, so we had um, a, a close, we had a couple friends that were close that we went through our pregnancies together. Our, our, our friends had a daughter the same age as Emily. Um, so they were there for us. They, they just, you know, Emily had several brain surgeries before the age of three and our friends with this, um, you know, who also had a, a daughter the same age as Emily, they showed up at the hospital. Just, they were just there in the waiting room every time. Um, my uh, brothers, one lived an hour away. Um, we were in the Denver area. My brother lived in um, Fort Collins at the time. He and his wife just showed up as well with our friends in the waiting room. My parents flew in um, for every one of her surgeries. It seemed like just about. Um, I also have um, another brother who lived in Connecticut at the time as well. And he flew in um, when he could. And that's what got us through some hard times. Um, what was more difficult was when Emily was feeling fine mm -hmm. and we didn't, we weren't in crisis mode and we were just living life. We were just going to the park. We were taking them to preschool. We were, you know, it, it's those typical times when you sort of start feeling lonely again. Right. Um, crisis people are literally surrounding you. Um, it's those typical times that it's, I felt different than my friends. You know, I had things going on in my brain that they did not. Um, but I, but it was also so new and, and we sort of live in this world where we don't talk about hard things um, sure. because I didn't want their pity. You know, I didn't want mm -hmm. that, even though I learned later in life, you can talk about hard things and, and your close friends won't pity you. You know, they, they are, they can just be empathetic. And um, I think that's what I needed to do early on that I didn't learn to do until I was a little bit older. Um, so that's where the loneliness came from, I think, is not sharing the absolute depths of the world that we were living in, that, that constant stress of worried about my daughter's health, the um, constant management of her physical disabilities. Um, that's where the differences came in, I felt, and that, but I didn't speak it. So how were my friends to know it anyway? Right. Absolutely. They, they may not have had the opportunity to be there because the opportunity, you weren't necessarily presenting it. And, and potentially, even if they had asked, it was, well, things are fine right now. Right. It's a, right. I want exactly. to be normal. I want to, we want, we want to yeah. move on. And yeah. And, and yeah. I think that, can yeah. be really, like you said, we don't talk about it. Um, from your perspective, right. as someone who has gone through this, why, if you had to boil it down, why do you think we are so hesitant to talk about these things in our lives? You know, I, I've thought about that too. Um, and I, I wonder if sometimes it, it means that there's a failing on our part and somehow that maybe I'm a failure because I, I'm not living what, what you seem to be this picture perfect life. Um, but I, I'm not sure. And it's also the, I, I know that I, um, was fairly introverted and didn't want attention. And I think part of that is I didn't want somebody patting my shoulder saying it's going to be okay. 
Right. Um, and I think that's sort of the natural reaction when somebody tells you something that is in their life that's hard. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think I, I wanted that. I just wanted to be heard. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and again, I, I learned later in life um, and with a few close friends that I, I could be like that. I, I could tell them how awful an appointment was and how stressed I am. And they wouldn't pat me on the back and say, it's going to be okay. They would just say, that sounds awful. What can we do? What do you think? You know, can we just come over and hang out? And that was sort of the perfect response for me. That was what I needed was the, yeah, that is hard. Right. You know, I'm just going to sit with you and, and, and also I'm human. Like, how about some, some chips and a beer? Like, yeah. what, what can we do? And yeah, <laughs> I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Let me bring you a coffee, something, you know? And, yeah. and that was where I was able to, you know, I started finding those few friends that I could say that to and their reaction was, well, I'm coming over with food and we're going to sit and we're going to just chill out. And um, that was, that was exactly what I needed. And I learned over time that those people exist and uh, those are who I needed to surround myself with. Absolutely. And I think it is, it is hard, right? We are taught as children that our empathy means that we want to make people feel better. And we, like our go-to is to, we, we want you to feel better. We want you to feel happy because feeling, if you're feeling unhappy, that's a state of that, that state doesn't work. That state of negativity, like we want to build positivity and, uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel and all these other cliches. My wife calls what you're referring to sitting in the suck, right? You just, yeah. I just want you to sit with me and it sucks. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to tell me right. that it's going to get better. You don't know that it's going to get better. Just sit with me right. in the suck. Yes, yes, yes. Sit and, and, and feel a little suckiness with me. And, and yes. Um, yes. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Is, is, um, and we need to, I think just, you know, in general, we need to be better about that. And, and again, I think that that goes along with part of the reason I wrote the book is, is so that I could just relay that I, I'm human. You know, this is, this is just like you, <laughs> you know, like I have these hard moments and, and um, uh, like most people, they, they don't want, they don't want that pity. They don't want that. They're there. It's going to be okay. It's, they just want you to just be with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, like I said, it, yeah. it's hard because our default isn't that. But I think if we retrain ourselves, our default can become that. It can be just like, I'm just going to sit with you in this. I'm going to go get you a coffee. I'm going to make you a meal or whatever. And it's um, it also reminds me of like the love languages, right? Like how can I show you love right now to where you feel like you've right. been heard, to where you feel like you are receiving that, right? And maybe that's, you right. need a hug. Maybe that is you need a coffee. Maybe that's you need a break, uh, you know, and, and how do we help give that to the people that are hurting in our lives? Right, right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Going back to peace, um, I'm curious in, uh, not necessarily in the moments where it was extremely hard, because I'm sure there was, there were times where it didn't feel like there was light at the end of the tunnel or, or things like that, um, to go back to that metaphor. But I'm, I'm curious, what were ways that, because um, I assume it looks a, maybe a little different now that things are, are, are different in, at home. But I'm wondering just kind of in those moments where there was such extreme chaos, and, and you mentioned a little bit of just kind of your, your daughter's spirit, right? And that, that certainly helped. But were there, are there pieces that you can remember where, or times where you said, 
I feel at peace right now. Like I feel, I feel okay with where things are at, like while you were going through this journey. Um, yes, yes. And it's, it's those nuggets that, that help get you through. And I think it's, it's those pairs, those, those moments where I had a moment of calm and where I could think and sort of kind of regroup where we are and just, just sit. Um, and sometimes I would just take those moments of calm and just read a book, just do something that's sort of normal and, and brings me happiness and um, is quiet and got me out of my head. Um, it's those, you know, we're just sitting with a, with a good cup of coffee. Um, I would take those moments and it would, it just helps power you up and fuels you to get through the next moments, which you know are going to be hard. Like when you're in those crisis moments, you know, you've got a long road. Um, so I took those moments, uh, took a walk. I mean, just my husband and I are huge. I'm sure our neighbors are like, there they go again. Um, we just, <laughs> we, you know, we'll just look at each other like, let's go around the block, you know, and it's just the quiet. It's our, it's our, you know, shaking away and just kind of being in the moment, just taking a walk around the block. And it just fuels you. It gives you that strength that you have to have those moments of bliss in order to move forward. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. And it, mm-hmm. it is those things that sometimes it's the, it's the one little thing that you can hold on to and the the one little piece of peace (laughs) right Um, (laughs) right that that becomes that like how do i how do i just get how do i just get to tomorrow you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be getting to next week it doesn't have to be getting to next year it doesn't have to be getting to the next doctor's appointment how do i get from today to tomorrow and and it sounds like finding those little pieces was helpful to that yeah I, i i talk about that a lot in my book and um and i i don't think i'm alone um, I think a lot of parents who face um, whose whose child has a chronic illness or um, has um, these sorts of issues that you take it literally day by day. Right. I stopped. I, I I stopped all forward thinking because it was just too much. I um, you know, a friend would say, "Do you want to get together with it for dinner next week?" And I would literally laugh that off, like, oh, my gosh, next week? I, there's no predicting what next, you know, I, I couldn't commit right. because there was no way of knowing what my life was going to look like next week. I am so working on today. And, and yeah, and so it was just that moment by moment and, and feeling those little moments of bliss when I could and, yeah. and um, just getting through that day. Yeah. Has that, has that living in the moment, has that carried over to, you know, now? I mean, is that, is that still kind of how you, how you feel like you operate best? Only because it's so ingrained in my soul at this point, it's hard to shake that. I mean, I think um, now I, um, I have to remind myself that I probably could plan, you know, something next month, Hmm. you know, like, yeah, we we should we should get away this summer. I'm like, well, oh, summer's approaching. We should we actually probably could plan that, right. right? It's just I'm just so um. I've just it's just so ingrained for me to to not plan at this yeah. point. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that came up for me when you were talking about just those little those little pieces was also 
you know, how to celebrate the wins. And I'm curious in, in the moment, I'm, I'm curious, like in the moment, how are you, how are you celebrating those wins um, when they came? And sometimes I think they, it sounds like they were few and far between, but um, you know, eventually they did come. And, and then in general, as you're looking back now, have you, have you taken the time to just celebrate with each other about we got through this time um, at least as much as we could? Yeah. Yeah. Those, the winds, the winds came um, for sure. And it, it's with, you know, we were able to celebrate those, those wins, the, the little milestones that happened um, throughout recoveries with the phone call. I just remember it's the phone calls to our family and close friends. Um, Emily's recovered. We can come home tomorrow from the hospital or um, a big one was she learned to walk, which, you know, we didn't think she would be able to do. Um you know, and, and some of the um, some of the other wins were were more personal. That that again, it's that comfort level of sharing. Like um, sure. she got through a rough week of chemotherapy. We didn't. That's not something that we would call our friends <laughs> right. per se. You know, but it's something that we shared with each other in our house. And um, we would like, it's one of those you collapse at the, you know, at the end of a hard day, just be like, we made it, we got through it. And um, we certainly did do a lot of that. Um, we do that now still of looking back. Um, when we think that maybe we're not coping so well, we look back and think, no, we're doing just fine. You know, yeah. we, um, we got through it. We're still standing. We're all good. We're all maintaining. Um, and then again, it's, you know, Emily's spirit through it all sort of really helps with that of the, she could be so positive. There's, there's no reason we can't be. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. That was a driving force. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that that, <sighs> you know, you, you've, you've mentioned that a couple of times and I think it's, it's, it can't be understated like how great it is to see someone who is experiencing all of this and is still pushing forward and, has a smile on their face. And like we said, that kind of that awe, right. That like, Hey, things are great. And yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about um, this one experience in my book is um, when she was a teenager, she went to a, um, a art, our, a group in town put together a prom um, for uh, children of all abilities um, with disabilities. And, and so she could certainly participate and we went, which she normally wouldn't have been able to, to do the prom at her high school. So this was great. And we went dress shopping. And here she was, maybe 15 or 16. And we're, we're dress shopping for this big event that she's really looking forward to. And I'm excited for her. But she, because of her physical disabilities, I had to, I was the one putting her dress on and off when we're trying on the dresses. And again, because of her disabilities, clothes don't fit her the way that they fit a, um, a typical person. Sure. So um, finding a dress that would fit her was a struggle. And I'm exhausted. By the end of this day, I am exhausted. We haven't found a dress that fits. There, there, nothing's right in my head. I'm, I'm near tears as we are walking through the mall. And then 
And at one point, I just looked at her sort of exhausted look on my face saying, Em, this doesn't need to be so frustrating as I put another dress away that's not going to work. And she just looked at me and smiled. She said, I'm not frustrated. Mm. And I thought, huh, she's the one who this is physically exhausting for her. And this is, you know, and, and to try on so many dresses and not, not take one. And here she is with a big smile still saying, I'm not frustrated. And I thought, all right, you're right. This, this doesn't need to be frustrating. Sure enough, you know, a few more patients and we found the perfect dress and she loved it. So she literally in that moment reminded me that, yeah, it doesn't need to be frustrated. You can, you can smile and we can enjoy this. It's okay. Right. Yeah. And it, it can almost be comical in some ways, right? Like it, it, beca- <laughs> right. it becomes like a comedy of errors. Like, Hey, we're going yeah. through all of this. And yeah, looking back, it's like, yeah. it, it's a nice memory too. Like it's a nice memory right. of the time you got to spend together doing that. And you don't, right. if you're not living in the moment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yes. Really, I wanted to just um, kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, it sounds like you were you were working, uh, a working parent through all of this and how you Mm -hmm. how you balanced that and how you juggled all of that, um, because that obviously takes a significant time of our lives. I've been talking with a lot of people about you spend more time at work than you do at home on occasion. And um, especially if you're working kind of typical 40, 50 hours a week. So I'm curious how that, how you were able to kind of juggle that and what you kind of learned from all of that, I suppose. Yeah, it, it was hard. Um, thankfully, the, um, the job I had um, when Emily was a baby and was diagnosed. I'd, I'd worked, um, I worked at the university, um, and I had been working there before her diagnosis. And so when Emily was diagnosed, there was just this, I, I literally, I felt their arms wrap around me, um, and supporting me in whatever I needed to do. Um, and which was great, which was giving me time off, whether or not I have it in my vacation leave or not. Um, and giving me work to do from home, which was unheard of, mostly because the technology wasn't there yet. I mean, this was this was over 20 years ago, and you know where I like emailed myself files to work on because there weren't VPNs that I could sign into, um, or just giving me piles of work that I could that I could just do at home to make up for lost time. Um, so. Initially, that was that was great, um, but the time that I did have to spend in the office, commuting was hard. So I did end up looking for work that was closer to home. And again, it, it's I had to be honest and open with the people who hired me. Um, it was very scary yeah. to look for a new job with my circumstances. So um, when I did get a job offer. I said, I am, listen, you know, this is great, but I need to be honest about who I am and what my circumstances are. And, you know, it's like my daughter has medical needs uh, more than, more than usual, which means a lot of appointments. Sometimes she goes to the hospital and I just go with her and, and there's no notice. And that means that I'm also probably going to be gone for a week with no notice. 
I mean, that, that's hard for an employer to yeah. wrap their head around. Um, but thankfully, I found a few who did. And they let me balance that with working from home a couple days a week, working in the office a couple days a week, which was great because it also got me around other people. And my husband, um, he only worked, uh, he worked three 12 and a half hour shifts. So we were able to work opposite. We never saw each other. But one of us was always home with Emily because daycare was not an option. Um, and also, the, you know, we frankly, we needed both incomes. So sure. not working was also not an option. So yeah. thankfully, we were able to um, find those, those jobs that we could balance that. Um, and then as, um, as technology came on and, and, and things shifted in the world, we were about 10 years ago, my husband was able to find a job where he just worked from home. And then I too was able to find a job where I just worked from home. And that was, that just, just saved us for sure. Um, a lot of headaches. And I think, yeah. I think people over the last year have figured that out that how, how it could, it actually makes life a little bit easier balancing your family with work and that it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say you, you had a leg up on everybody else uh, who had to experience this this year, right? Um, right, right. And um, yeah, so but I agree. I think it it does show that we can we can balance that. And I think what, what I'm what I'm also struck by by kind of your story and, and your work journey is this like I, I need to work for whatever reason. We we need we need to have right. we need right. to, to have the money. We need to have the food. You know, et, et cetera. So we need to work, but I can prioritize my family through that. And I can find ways to do that. And I think that we we get stuck sometimes in a rut of not being, not feeling like we can or are able to do that. And we then, sometimes we don't ask for that flexibility or we don't ask for that grace. And there are plenty of companies in this country that would not give you the grace that you were able to get, right? Um, right, right. And <laughs> yeah, and, and I certainly, I found that my last job or, you know, my last big kind of full-time job that I had, um, I realized that wasn't the company for me because sure. it didn't offer that. And not in a, I knew what I was up against. And part of working for me too at, at that point in time was it was my escape from home life. So I wanted that. Um, I wanted something else to think about. So yeah. working gave that to me. Um, but it was not a great environment at the time. I realized that there wasn't that I was used to a culture that I had at, at other jobs where there was a support system within the job and this place wasn't, and it was fine. It was just, I needed to move on and I needed to figure that out right. that there's other places that, that will be a little bit more conducive to what I need. Yeah. And like you said, taking, but you're right. Speaking scary, up, but <laughs> yeah, right. It's definitely scary and you definitely have to speak up. And, yeah. and I found once I did, most places are accommodating more than accommodating. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I felt a, a pretty similar, um, not, not similar in, in the reasons, but I had found myself in need of an alternative work schedule and be just, just for a variety of reasons. I, I work better in mm -hmm. the morning. So if I can be in there in the morning and then leave in the afternoon, like, trust me, you're going to get a better employee. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I found myself like, and, and I, I'm luckily lucky to be at a job, and this is a job I've had the longest out of any job I've ever had um, at a university where they 
they value that and they they say like yeah we can we can do that anything I've, any flexibility i've ever asked for i've been given or at least i've been i've been heard and and i think that's that's all you can really ask for is is to be heard if it doesn't work like you said there are places that it's not going to work it's and then it's okay how do i make that next step right right and, and like you mentioned it's hard it's it's yeah. not you have to work at it but it's out there if if you make that effort if it's important to you to have that balance, you, you, there's ways to do it. Yeah. And, and, and to good your for point, you I that think, you found that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, I think we've now seen in the last year the the what flexibility we can have. And I think we we were pushed to extreme flexibility, uh, most of us. <laughs> and I think right. that that's but that's shown we kept chugging along, right? We were still the the cogs in the wheel, so to speak. And we know that we can do that. And so I think that. I hope that this is empowering people, um, both what you're talking about and also just the environment in general is now empowering people to say, well, I know I can do this in a different way and let's try that. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you worked at a university while you were in Colorado. What university did you work at? The University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. Oh, okay. Well, that's almost perfect, right? <laughs> to be connected yeah. with that. Yeah, that's great. Right. Um, I ask, I, I worked at Metropolitan State University of Denver, oh, okay. um, connected yeah. to the University of Colorado Denver. And then, you know, they obviously have their health sciences a little bit further, but um, yeah. So I just thought that was, that was neat. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I worked there when they were still down in, in Denver yeah. uh, proper before they moved over to the new campus, which is when I ended up leaving because that was just another 15 oh, yeah. minutes on my commute that I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom. I was sad to leave though. It's yeah. A great environment. Yeah. Outside of um, switching gears back to the book, outside of what you learned, just um, processing and, and kind of going through things, what did, what do you feel like you learned from, from writing a book? Um, it, you know, it is this book obviously, but what did you learn from that, from that process? Oh, so much that I had, I had no idea what went into writing a book um, or I should say writing a book was sort of the easy part. Um, um, you know, especially if you're like me, I wrote about, you know, me <laughs> and my daughter and, and my home life. And that was the most important things that are the most important things in my life. So it was easy for me to write that. Um, but then you write your story and then it's the then what, and that was, I'm still learning and learning and learning because it's, it's not a field that I was, that I learned about until after I wrote my book, I just wrote it. And then I thought, Oh, I should figure out what to do with it now. Um, so just, and how long of a, it, it's a long process. So I wrote my book um, and then I started uh, you, you query agents or publishers and then um i thankfully i had a few publishers that were interested and i i was able to sign with them but then it's another year before your book comes out and then it's the um sort of getting word out about then you know i wrote this story in hopes for people to read it and now i need all right now i have to get the word out that this book is now available um for for people to read if they're inclined and so um it's it's a long learning process that I'm 
and, and, and the work doesn't end when you finish writing your book. Right. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned in this journey. Yeah. Um, but I have learned that I do enjoy writing, um, especially about this topic. And it's, it's sort of my way to advocate for caregivers and um, parents of um, children who have physical disabilities, cognitive disabilities, chronic illness. Um, so I've just continued on um, just writing now um, articles for parenting publications and um, just writing essays to put on, on social media. And um, it's been nice getting um, feedback that I've gotten so far is not just from other uh, parents or caregivers that, you know, they're sort of like, yes, yes. And that, mm -hmm. that feeling like, you know, just to remind them they're not alone. Um, but also from other parents in feeling like it's very relatable and that, um, you know, reminds us we're all, we're all just in this and, and our circumstances might be different, but we are, really sort of after the same things in life that that sort of that bliss in life of, yeah. of good friendship and um and, and yeah it, so it, it's been nice yeah absolutely I, i'm struck by a couple of pieces there um the first is this idea around uh the book doesn't the, the work doesn't stop when the book is done right and uh, right as, as someone with a fairly new podcast I feel that in that way because I'm like, I can put out this content, I can have these awesome interviews and it's great. And if I don't promote it, <laughs> it just sits in the ether. Like <laughs> I love listening to it. I hope that others do, right. and, you know, we're, we're uh, trying to build an audience here, but if I don't do the work on the aftermath, it's like, well, then I did all this work and it's, you know, that was nice for me and, but maybe it doesn't reach who I want it to. And the second thing that, that struck right. me was you kind of caught the bug, you caught the writing bug, right? You, but, but beyond yeah. that, it was, I have not only this story, but I have this advice and I have this way that I can specifically help people. It, it sounds to me is like you really found an additional purpose. Yes. Yes. And that's, um, that's really important to me in my writing right now is, um, and I don't, I don't know if advocating is the right word, but it's just still more of that sharing the reality of this world of caregivers and parents of children with disabilities or chronic illness. Um, because again, it goes back to that awareness, I think will bring us all closer together and make it easier for everyone to cope. Um, it'll make people, um, or hopefully, hopefully help friendships yeah. for people in these situations. Um, just more talking points um, and just awareness. So yeah, I, it, I have been struck by it, that writing bug and and it's still cathartic. <laughs> yeah. And that's great. And, and it's, you know, you mentioned that catharsis was like, you're, you're like, no way. First of all, like that was the first part. No. And then the yeah. surprise, like, okay, yeah, I feel it. And then now it, it, that it's, it's still that piece, right? Like that, that writing has right. now become part of that piece. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've embraced it. <laughs> well, on that note, what if you are if you had to give advice to people and 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 take that uh, question as as you need, but specifically on how to how to find peace in that chaos, how to how how they can find peace and how that peace can be their true bliss. 
what would you say to people to who are looking for that? I, I would say to, to, to start small, find those small moments that, that will give you bliss. Like I, I gave up on the big stuff long, long ago. Um, don't keep your eye on some Caribbean vacation. Find, you know, find bliss in, in a half an hour where you can sit with a cup of coffee or tea, if that's your thing, and and read a book or just do something that's for you that you enjoy, um, and and be good with that. Be happy you had that, and and um, and to start small and start enjoying those. And you might you might feel eventually you don't need to. It's so frustrating to think about those big things that are, aren't attainable. Um, so so when you you keep those those moments of bliss that are attainable that that you can you can have that and and sometimes for me that was post bedtime where i could just have an hour of watching brainless tv at night on the couch by myself i mean i kept my eye on that prize i can't tell you how many days years of oh yeah once bedtime hits i can sit and watch reruns on tv and that's going to be my happiness and um yeah and, and it works because I was happy, you know, it right. did, it did recharge. It was perfect. Yeah. We've, we've talked recently on the podcast about living in the small, like just, just live there. And you don't, it doesn't always have to be like you said, it doesn't always have to be these gigantic things or this, you know, vacation to uh, Mykonos or <laughs> things like that. Right. It right. Can be, right. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy my favorite show. I'm just gonna enjoy my comfort movie, my comfort food. I'm going to just sit in silence. It can be uh, all of those things can bring us that little bit of peace. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, sometimes those big things do come in and, and that's great, but yeah. yeah, if you can find some, some everyday pieces of, of joy, uh, even better in my mind. Absolutely. Well, please, um, as we're wrapping up here, please promote the book and anything else that you would like to promote. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yes. Um, yeah, please check out my book. It's called Reaching for Normal. Um, it's available on Amazon or um, most retailers online. Uh, you can find it. Um, some feedback I've gotten was that um, it's relatable, even if you don't, your experiences aren't like mine. Um, I hope I hope you'll read it and learn and understand and um, enjoy that. Otherwise, you can follow me. I do have some social media sites where I share some of my um, articles and essays that I write on the same topic. And um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook with Amy Daniels, writer. Awesome. And we'll make sure all of that gets into the show notes as well. So people can find you. We'll put the link to the book uh, in there, at least the Amazon link, but um, you know, any others that I, that I can fit in there, basically. Um, I'd like to close by just (laughs) reading one of those reviews, because I think that it's, I think it speaks to not only this conversation, but I think it speaks to the power of the book. So this review says, this is Amy's story. It could well be yours. We will all face a similar fate if we're lucky enough to be at risk because we love someone. Yes, it's a story about a child and family who suffered enormously, and it is much more than that. It's a story of love, courage, resilience, determination, and a family that rose to the challenge. Drama, pathos, and humor. A tale told with talent that will help you experience the trauma as well as healing born of suffering. Read it. You'll be glad you did. And I think as as someone who 
was lucky enough and, and privileged enough to sit with you over the last hour. I could speak to our conversation had all of that as well. And I'm just so grateful that you uh, came on the podcast and, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. This is a great, a great hour. I really appreciate the talk. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next time on What's Your Bliss. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at Your Bliss Pod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. Podcast.